Hello and welcome to episode 364 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. Uh, you can be LSAT famous by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com and get on an agenda for an upcoming show. This one's going to air on Monday, August 22nd. You have still a week or so to decide whether you want to register for the October LSAT. The deadline for that is Thursday, September 1st. Go to lsat.link forward slash dates if you want to see all of those uh, sign up deadlines. Please come to my free classes uh, every other Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. I host free classes on Zoom. The next one coming up is Thursday, August 25th. And it's going to be about accuracy versus speed. Come learn why accuracy is going to beat speed every time at every level. Uh, all you need is a free LSAT demon account to attend. Go to lsat.link forward slash Nathan if you would like to sign up for that free class. I hope to see you there. Today on the show, yeah, what did we, you wanted to talk about? A, we had a Bruce Lee quote, huh? Yeah, that was at least the most memorable thing for me. Yeah. Fear not the man who practices 1,000 kicks for one day, but the man who practices one kick for 1,000 days. <laughs> that was part of a um, Pearls versus Turds triple header that I think we uh, almost let off the show with. We also had, uh, I thought, a really interesting or maybe helpful discussion about you know this myth that we hear a lot about lately that hey, the medians are going up and LSAT inflation. And should I, should I hurry up? <laughs> Ironically, it's like, well, the medians are going up and score inflation, but does that mean that I should rush into the LSAT now? doesn't really make sense. <laughs> um, so we had a whole discussion about that as well. All right. Ready yeah. to dive in? Let's do it. All right. Let's uh, get right in there with this email from Owen. Okay. So is Ben and Nathan. I wrote to you at the beginning of this summer asking if it would be possible to raise my score by 14 points in three months. You responded on Demon Daily, advising the audience and myself that the LSAT cannot be crammed for. A few days ago, I withdrew from the August 2022 LSAT. I had been considering this decision in the back of my mind while I studied this last month. Your advice to Sheldon near the end of the most recent Thinking LSAT podcast, which is episode 362, triggered my decision. I, too, was trying to play a hand I didn't have. The data from my practice was not telling me I was ready. I registered midsummer, hoping that I would be. Today, I've decided that the hoping and planning ceases. I wasted my first attempt by entering the test with only a few hours of prep, although I felt a lot of pressure from myself and my family to make a quick transition to law school by getting in an application this upcoming fall. I knew that I didn't want to be one of the applicants that gets in, as you would say, sneaking through the back door. I owe it to the LSAT Demon team for shifting my mindset on this admissions game. This test is easy. I know what is going on, what it is going to take for me to get where I want to go. Now my journey continues one question at a time. <laughs> okay. Nice. More of a comment than a question, but sounds good, Owen. Yeah. Hopefully you'll help others make that same decision. If you're going to play this game, kick ass. Otherwise, go play a different game. That's all. 
That's yeah. all we believe. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you can decide if you if you do what Owen was going to do, which is decide in advance exactly when you're going to take the test and exactly when you're going to start law school, then you just end up showing up for the test unprepared. You know, he at least paid attention to his practice test scores and went, oh, my practice test scores aren't where they need to be. So I'm not going to take the test. And he just went ahead and withdrew. Yeah. We always advise people just don't even register until your practice tests indicate that you're ready to put an official score on record. Yeah. And it's like, you know, don't file that lawsuit until you know <laughs> that it's not going to just get immediately thrown out of court. Yeah. Don't buy the Oreos <laughs> for some future, you know, party. Just don't buy them because then you'll, you won't eat them. <laughs> Is that the same? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same. I feel, okay. So here, let me, let me connect the dots a little bit more. I, when I think when people register or they commit to a test prematurely, right? They're half in, half out. They're not fully committed to this idea of get the best damn score you can get and then apply whatever situation you're in at that point. Not, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do the test and then I'm going to apply this and then, I, and then I'm going to do this. Like you're making decisions you're not ready to make and you need to commit to that by not committing to a test. Sure. Got it. <laughs> so don't <laughs> buy those Oreos at the grocery store. I just have to say that. That's just another thing I wanted to say on the show. That's all. <laughs> also, don't buy Oreos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, period. Ever. I do love some cookies and cream ice cream, though. That's a different thing. Yeah. That's a different category. All right. Okay. Um, we got a pearls versus turds triple header. Ready? We got three of them. We okay. haven't done this in a while. So we've got we got three of them stacked up. Okay. Um, this is the segment of the show where we take some received uh, wisdom from the internet and we decide if it's a pearl of wisdom or if it's a turd for our ever-growing turd pile. Okay. Most of the advice out there turns out to be turds. So, all right, we'll do three. Uh, the first two are from Jake. Jake says, uh, the first one from Jake is Bruce Lee quote, Fear not the man who practices 1,000 kicks for one day, but the man who practices one kick for 1,000 days. Uh, okay, sure. That makes sense. Do you like, like it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's true. Um, to the extent that uh, Bruce Lee is trying to teach us something, I would be more concerned about anyone who's trying to get better at anything who does a little bit every day than someone who uh, goes crazy for one day and then peters out. They're, they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I got golf on my mind always these days, yep. but like if you, if you go out there and you just, you, you could literally go to the driving range and hit one ball, you know, like take a bunch of practice swings maybe and really think about it and then just hit one shot. Mm-hmm you've gotten a lot of practice like in that one shot. Yeah. And, and, uh, the consistency, if you did that every day for a thousand days, I think you'd get a lot better. Yeah. And the other flip side of that, if you go out there and hit, you know, Oh, I'll take, uh, 
yeah, give me 18 extra large ball buckets of range balls, <laughs> you know, and and you and you try to go out there and like just hit a thousand balls. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think that's going to do anything for you tomorrow. So, uh, all right, we're going to give a pearl for that one. Yeah. Now, I'm okay. just Ben Olsen. I'm not Bruce Lee, but I think I might fear the man who practices like a dozen kicks every day. Like for a thousand a days, though, the 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 pearl at the heart of that yeah, is the thousand yeah. days thing. The like, hey, slow and steady, chip yep. away at it a little bit every day. That's what we're really mm-hmm. going for. OK, that is what we're going for. All right. Uh, number two. Tim Ferriss talks about when IBM was becoming a, quote, behemoth, they were setting very low daily sales quotas, say one sale per agent so that everyone exceeded expectations and felt less pressure, therefore less of a barrier to perform or practice daily tasks. So what do you, I guess the it's a, it's very similar, but the idea is should people set really low goals for themselves? Yeah, probably. I I find myself I have a problem of setting goals uh, that I do daily for some time. And what I will do is I will add to them over time. So for example, I might set a goal to work out every day and then I'll add to that. I'll say, oh, I should stretch every day. And I, I add it over time. So I'm actually hitting these things. And then what will happen is I will, I will get up to like seven goals and I'm hitting them all. And then one day I'll just fail on all of them, yeah. fail on all of them. And like, and then I go, oh, I got to clear the deck. I I did it again. I let myself get carried into this like goal setting thing. And which of these seven is actually something I want to keep hitting at every day? And let me clear everything else out because the problem is those other things can prevent the top thing from happening every day. Yeah. So um, I'm certainly always tempted to add more. But I see what happens. So I guess I haven't learned that lesson yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do teach that for like habit building. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. if you're trying to learn a new habit, uh, you can attach it to a habit that you already have. So as soon as you finish brushing your teeth in the morning, then you go outside and walk for 10 minutes or what, you know, whatever it is. But it's just it's like build on the ones that you have and that you know you're going to keep, especially like that one. Yeah. And then, um, you know, just uh, at, slowly add over time. But yeah. this idea of, you know, having really small goals, I've written about that. We talk about it all the time. You know, I have a blog post and a whole lesson called One Hour LSAT, where it's like, you know, we have a lot of people coming to us who have been practicing four hours a day, six hours a day and making no progress. Yeah. Or four hours at a time, I should say six hours at a time. They're probably not doing that every day or maybe they are, but we're kind of always encouraging people to maybe style it back a little bit and get a higher quality one hour a day. Yeah. And then maybe you can do more, but don't be like Ben and have you know, your list of things becomes so big that then you don't do anything. Yep, exactly. You don't want these good things getting in the way of, you know, great things. I don't want to say the best thing, though, because I think it's very hard to figure out what the best thing is. And if you obsess over that, you can get 
sucked into analysis paralysis. Yeah. All right. Um, that seems like maybe another pearl uh, to to set really low achievable goals for yourself. But stick to them. Well, that's the idea is that if it's really low. So it's, you can so stick it's to low it. on one sense, right? Daily. But it's it's kind of ambitious on another sense. It's like, OK, but I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to go and go. Right. OK. And then we've got another one here from Lacey. You want to read it? Hey, guys, I have a Pearl versus Turd candidate for the show. I'm sure you'll have to censor this part. OK, but I've been receiving emails from another company after I tried their free course. This was included in one of the recent emails, and I could not believe how absurd and gimmicky it was. Using scratch paper on your official test day, you're allowed five blank sheets to use as scratch paper. You're also allowed to use eight and a half by 14 inch scratch paper, AKA legal size, not just your regular eight and a half by 11 printer paper. Those three extra inches give you over 25% more room, exclamation point. <laughs> okay, thanks for the, the, the cool tip. Do they want students to believe that an extra three inches is some hack for LSAT success? As if extra room will help people understand the questions better. LOL. Anyway, hope this makes you laugh if it doesn't make it onto the show. Thank you, Lacey. Yeah, that's that's an odd thing to focus on. <laughs> that's a straight up turd there. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, by the way, who has legal paper? No one has legal sized. It's yeah, weird that there out, even is a legal. No, you'd have to like go to Staples and go buy yourself. I could just imagine people doing that. Like, well, I could study for the LSAT today, but instead I'm going to go out to Staples to get myself this extra scratch paper. I mean, this is it's this is like a really bad turd, I think, because, you know, you could say, well, how could it possibly hurt me? But I think it could hurt you to the extent that. Now, what are you going to do? You've got five pages of eight and a half by 14 scratch paper, both sides of that. Like the idea that you're going to fill that shit up. Yeah. The underlying assumption here, <laughs> right, is that that is helpful. So people are going to be diagramming in reading comp. We've heard people doing that and diagramming in logical reasoning. Writing out and summaries <laughs> and diagrams, yeah, for, for LR and RC. But even for games, you know, I could just see people like, oh, I'm going to just go ahead and write out every possibility. Yeah. Which we're never trying to do. We, we do worlds a lot, but we're usually trying to incorporate, you know, we're, we're not going to let those worlds proliferate into 20 different worlds because all we're doing is trying to eliminate rules, not trying to write out every possibility. But yeah. this idea that like, oh, your scratch paper is going to help you. I don't know. I think that could hurt you really pretty bad. OK, so we've got uh, I'm adding one turd and two pearls. The scoreboard now is 19 pearls, 65 turds, 24 ties. Be careful with the uh, information you find on the Internet. Uh, just even from companies that we didn't say the company name here, but these are pretty well-known companies. That's <laughs> that a real we well-known one. And yeah. I mean, especially in the online world. And that's just a dumb, just stupid, very cheesy tip. Yeah. If you have a Pearl versus Turd candidate, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com or you can find us on social at thinkinglsat. 
Uh, next one is an email from, oh, this one is coming from LSAT demon teacher and tutor Francesca. She, she forwarded this one along. She got it from one of our students. Hey, Francesca, I know you told me to stay off of online law school forums, but I couldn't Oops. help and hear about all the concerns surrounding school medians from last cycle. I'm hearing it may make this next cycle even more difficult and competitive than the last one. What do you think? Is there anything to be concerned about? So she forwarded it along. Should we just read Francesca's commentary? Let's see what let's see what Francesca sure. said. Yeah, let's see what she said. So she said, here's my take. Yes, many schools medians increased this year. However, one, the difference is small. And two, so what? What are you supposed to do about applications getting more competitive? It's nothing to be concerned about because there's absolutely nothing you can do about it other than be the most competitive applicant you can be, which you should be doing regardless of trends. This reminds me of my favorite corny quote as a fellow chronic overthinker. If it's out of your hands, it deserves freedom from your mind as well. I can't make you stay off forums forever but at least promise me you'll stay off of them between now and Saturday, which was this <laughs> student's official test. I love Francesca's response. Um, I was going to say you're hired, but she already is. So <laughs> you're double hired, Francesca. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you can't do anything about it. If, yeah. the, if it was a less competitive cycle, guess what? You want the best LSAT you can get. Mm hmm so that you can get into better schools and get better scholarship offers. If it's yeah, a more competitive cycle, you <laughs> want the best LSAT you can get for the exact same reasons. Yeah. And the goal still remains the same that you're going to go to the best school you can get into for free, whatever that is. Maybe that's going to change a smidget. Yeah. And okay. I'd, I'm not sure if it made the agenda today or not, but I also receive emails sometimes that are like, well, the cycle like scores are going up, the medians are going up, and so they probably will go up again next year. Yeah. That's just like you're taking one data point and then immediately you know you're just like extrapolating from one data point into the forever future. That's really weird, especially I mean, I would say we don't have any clue, but there's also the regression to the mean thing, right? Like things <laughs> Don't love to get too out of whack. Other things are going to come in and they can't them. keep going up forever. They're not <laughs> yeah. I, like, what they they would have to make the test harder in order to, you know, otherwise the LSAT no longer gives them a distribution of scores. Absolutely. It's arbitrary how hard they made it already. They could just change that arbitrariness. <laughs> yeah. People need to, well, just get off of the stupid forums. I mean, it's just not helping you. There's so much bad advice there. There's trolling. You know, it's like social media. Generally, you're going to be comparing mm -hmm. yourself to other people, which is always bad. And you need to just manage your business, which is one more LSAT question. Get it, you know, get it right. Understand one more LSAT question mm -hmm. instead of all this nonsense. All right, here's Sean. Sean says, hey, Ben and Nathan, I'm currently a sophomore in undergrad. I have heard you guys mention how LSAT scores are rising. This made me wonder whether there may be a benefit to taking the LSAT sooner than you typically recommend, given the scores will likely. Oh, there it is. 
Given the scores will likely continue to rise up to when I plan to take the test. Huh? Yeah, they certainly might not. That's I mean, that's like, oh, the stock market's going down. Therefore, the stock market is likely to keep going down or the stock market is going up. Therefore, the stock market is likely to keep going up. Or anything. I mean, <laughs> like shit goes up and down. I, I don't know. It, it's I don't know. It's crazy to think that just because they're currently going up, it's like one data point, right? It's just like, well, no, it's increasing. So, yeah. I also wonder whether taking advantage of the current games format while it still exists, given it sounds the easiest to perfect, may be another reason to take advantage of this, quote, pre-score inflation period. I mean, you're just making shit up, though. I don't this is not a pre-score inflation period. We don't we cannot possibly know that we can't predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen to scores. They could easily make the test harder. And scores would go down. What do you think about the games thing? Do you think people should rush to take the LSAT uh, while the logic games are still there? Well, I think no, for the same reason that I don't think people should rush to. Even if we assume that Sean is right, that scores are going to keep going up and we assume that games are going to get harder to prepare for. I don't think people should rush to take it because the how quickly it's going to get harder is not going to be anywhere close to how quickly you're going to get better. Yeah. So you're trading like, you know, pennies for dollars. Don't don't do that. Don't yeah. don't give up your dollars so you can get a couple pennies by going a little sooner. Oh, it's going to be a little bit easier, but it's also going to be harder because you're not ready. Yeah, we we see people improve by 15, 20, 25, even 30 points sometimes. This score improvement you know if it continues it'll be a point or two you're gonna run past that (laughs) yeah if you keep studying yeah way past that as far as the games thing we have no idea when the games are actually going away and we also don't know what they're gonna replace the games with whatever they replace better yeah yeah those those could be even easier as far as we know so no, I think it's I think it's crazy to rush into this thing. Just prepare when you have time to prefa- prepare. You're only a sophomore. You got to make sure you're focusing on your grades. Yeah. Get straight A's. Uh, worry about the LSAT after you know for sure you're getting straight A's. We have an email here from uh, not our teacher, Francesca, but from our student, Francesca. Hi there. I hope that I hope this email finds you well. I'm wondering if you all have any articles forward slash podcasts forward slash YouTube videos on your takes on different types of law. I feel like a lot of the advice that we shouldn't go to law school unless we want to work all the time for XYZ wages with XYZ lifestyle doesn't necessarily apply to every type of law or speak to different types of firms. I don't have a specific thought about these topics or intersections to share or ask about, but I'm curious if Ben slash Nathan would be able to or have already given their two cents about what being different types of lawyers means in various ways. Any thoughts? Uh, Sure. I guess my reaction to this is, yes, there are exceptions, <laughs> but I th- think they're exceptions. And 
I don't think it makes sense to go to law school and plan on being that exception unless you know what you're doing and you know the path to that exceptional route. Yeah, this is just you're you're asking the wrong person, Francesca. We neither of us practiced law. We both went to law school. We both graduated. We both could have been lawyers. We both said, fuck that and did other stuff. We're not cut out to be lawyers. Neither of us have any interest in being lawyers. If you're going to law school, you should have a considered reason for going to law school. I mean, we try to talk everybody out of it pretty much. You should have this burning desire like, no, I know. You know, I, 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 I have a contact in the public defender's office. I love being a public defender. That's what I'm going to do. Or I have a contact in the prosecutor's office and the district attorney's office, and I want to go be a DA. And I know what that looks like, and I know how to get there, and that's what I want to do. Or maybe you know other kinds of government lawyers, or maybe you uh, know small firm lawyers. Like I, I, I have this idea that um, family lawyers frequently tend to be in real small firms. But we that's not our gig. I mean, we don't to me anyway, all of it looks miserable. It's like it's mostly fighting over. Money, it's it's mostly everybody's worst day when they're talking to a lawyer. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I just can't think of anything I would want to avoid more. But I'm not saying that that's that that's how you're going to feel about it. I just think you have to go do the due diligence. Get Rachel, Rachel Gezersay's book uh, about how to find a law job you will actually like. And uh, read that if you don't if you don't currently know lawyers. But I mean, you should know lawyers before you go to law school. Yeah. I don't know if I have more. Thanks, Francesca. (laughs) Okay, want to read this email from Sarah? Sure. Hi, guys. I've been listening for about the last month and ramping up studying for the LSAT. My state does not have a JD program, and so I will have to go outside for school. Hmm, wonder what state that is. I'm looking at online JD programs and would like your opinions on which schools are better. I'm looking at Mitchell, Hamline, or Vermont, considering I'm only planning to apply to these two schools. Should I dedicate so much time to getting a score above 165? First of all, there's only like nine online JD programs and you still have to go in person weekly, I think, the last time we looked into this. So if you're going to have to go out of state or law school anyway, why are you limiting yourself to only these two schools? I, I don't understand. Um, considering, yeah, that's my reaction to that. Thoughts? I just had to look up where Mitchell Hamline is. It's in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Okay. And why the hell are you only looking at Vermont and Minneapolis, St. Paul? Do you want to live in New England? Then don't go to Minneapolis, St. Paul. Do you want to live in Minneapolis, St. Paul? Then don't go to law school in New England. Maybe family is in those two locations. I I don't know. This seems like a rather limited trajectory. Oh, because it's online. Well, Sarah thinks that Sarah, she thinks she's not going to have to move. Maybe 
Yeah. So as far as we understand under the ABA rules, fully online programs aren't a thing yet. You can go online, but you have to visit in person almost weekly or something. There's some minimum requirement. So you're going to have to be pretty close to wherever you end up going online. She continues, I've used the scholarship estimator and based on need based. <laughs> what? I should be good. Okay. I didn't pay for undergrad thanks to Pell Grants. Wait, hold I on. What are you talking about? Law school doesn't give need-based scholarships. Only Harvard, Stanford, Yale give need-based grants. You're <laughs> law schools give need-based aid, but the need-based aid is 100% loans and it's not good. Yeah. I, I <laughs> get a I scholarship. Well, she used the scholarship estimator, so I'm assuming, which but then doesn't she even talk talking about, about need based. I don't. I I agree, it's confusing, but she must be referring to to scholarships based on her lower, I guess, LSAT score. I hope you're right. She says I have a 3.77 overall GPA and a 3.9 at my last school. My overall is <laughs> is brought down by early courses I took before rededication to my education. Doesn't matter. Also, do you think there is any hope for a California school starting starting an ABA JD online program in the near future? So wait, California is another place you'd like to go online, but really that's half the time in person. Should I start taking a Shawshank approach to getting an online program going somewhere I want to go? That sounds like a challenge. So I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I would give up on the online programs. I, I don't, maybe you have to be at home for some reason or cannot go into school on a daily basis. But if you're, you're going to have to live close to whatever program you go to anyway. So I would let go of that restraint on your decision-making. Yeah. I don't know you, Sarah. Um, but so, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but this just, it doesn't sound like somebody who, is really that serious about wanting to be a practicing lawyer. If you're going to be a practicing lawyer, then you're going to make law school your priority while you're in law school. And then you're going to make your legal practice your priority for the rest of your life. And I don't know why you're so attached to online. And I, and I, I really am worried that you're going to squander 3.77 is a pretty good GPA. And you know, if if you pair that with a 165 or a 170, you're going to be getting full ride scholarships to dozens of schools across the country. I mean, probably like really, I mean, almost every state you would be able to get yourself a full ride. Um, but you got to decide where you want to be and what you want to do with the rest of your life. And uh, Vermont. <laughs> Minneapolis and uh, also maybe California, but only if I can go online. That's very confusing. The LSAT is going to determine where you're going to go and how much you're going to pay to go there. And schools are going to really want to give you need based loans. But yeah, if if you apply with that's the right not LSAT, a scholarship, mm -hmm. they're going to give you scholarships. They're just going to give you straight up grants. And that's what you want is grants. You've got and not Pell Grants. They don't do that for law school. So you need your LSAT to give to get you the scholarship. 
I mean, we're talking about $150,000 worth of free tuition. And once and you can get a lot of those in part-time programs. So maybe, you know, maybe a part-time program would be a better fit and there's lots of those. Mhm. All right, thank you, Sarah. Um uh, Zach says, "Hi Nathan and Ben, you're busy men and I know you like these messages to be brief. I'm going to spare you my personal details until I crush the LSAT in a few months." At that time, I plan to write a full-on gushing email about how you changed my life, a la episode 358, where we apparently had someone whose life we changed. I wanted to give a sincere thanks for helping me see the light and burn my other study materials. The LSAT demon is amazing. You both are truly experts in your field, and it shows. You have demystified this test for me and clearly explained why people score the way they do. Besides the useful advice, your banter and sarcastic wisdom on the show have been a real source of joy for me as well. I must admit, you are so persuasive that I have even started to doubt if law school is worth it. Hoping to see you on the other side of 175, Zach. Okay, thanks. What was episode 358? I don't know. I'm curious. I don't know. We changed someone's life, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> thanks zach good luck uh glad glad you're drinking the demon kool-aid keep working hard and yeah keep listening to the show maybe we'll talk you out of law school you want to read this one from hugh yeah dear ben and nathan i wrote in seven weeks ago regarding my study plans and was featured in episode 356 the demon way i started with a 159 diagnostic with minus 12 on the games the past seven weeks of full-time demon studying at the premium level has led to my most recent metrics averaging minus three in logical reasoning, minus three in reading comp, and minus zero in games. I look forward to working to maintain and improve improve upon these numbers until I take the official test in September. I write in today to encourage anyone on the fence of overhauling their study plan to immediately drop whatever program they've used thus far in favor of the demon. (laughs) These last two emails sound a little... uh, I hope every yeah, these are real emails. But. <laughs> yeah, they're not fake. <laughs> Anyways, beyond the magic of worlds and the mantra of fully understanding everything you read, your pedagogy trains students to disrespect the LSAT. It's a beautiful thing. This test is so learnable, and the way you both approach it is incredibly intuitive and honestly fun. Thank you for your relentless relentless work in creating the demon and continuing to improve upon it best you well thanks um disrespect the lsat that's a, a subtitle for one of your books right or the name yeah my logical books. reasoning encyclopedia it was uh subtitled or disrespecting the lsat and the idea there was you're going to disrespect the arguments because you're going to just ex- on logical reasoning you're going to expect each argument to be bullshit but you don't get to just go, ah, oh, I don't, I don't like that. That's bullshit. Well, what do you mean? It's what, why, why is it bullshit? Right. So, yeah. but you, you change your mindset where instead most people are very credulous when they read things, they just, oh, well, it's the internet says it. So it's gotta be true. Right. And instead you need to just become super skeptical when you're reading that argument nine times out of 10, it's bullshit. And for it's bullshit for a reason. Like they, they have some evidence, they have a conclusion. The evidence does not add up to the conclusion and you need to disrespect that argument in a special way. The, the way of expecting it to 
to be wrong, expecting them to be trying to lie to you. And with it's it's just a shift in mindset, you know, that that's why we don't read the question first, by the way, on logical reasoning. We read the passage first on logical reasoning because it's so much more fun and easy to just attack. Just go, well, what is this nonsense? Like, I, uh, come on, let's hear it. And you train yourself to start, you know, how often, Ben, do you predict the dumb rest of the argument just based on the beginning of the argument? For example, they give a conditional statement, then they fuck up sufficient versus necessary and you yeah. can predict it or yeah. they give you a correlation and then they immediately say something stupid about causation and you yep. can predict it. And well, if even you're before they the say test, the causal claim before you, <laughs> sometimes okay. you read the correlation and you're like, uh, no, okay. that's what I'm saying. You, that, that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying is that we can predict they do the same dumb shit over and over and over. And so when you train yourself to do it this way, you're predicting not only the question and the correct answer. I mean, you're predicting the exact problem with the argument before they even do it. Mm -hmm. um, the other meaning of disrespect the LSAT in logical reasoning, and this applies to reading comprehension as well, is that you have to start expecting four out of five answers to be wrong. You have to start expecting every answer to be wrong 80% of the time. Novices read answer choice A going, okay, I, I, I didn't really follow that argument, and, um, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that A is going to you know, click and explain it to me. And then they read B that way, and C, and D, and E, and it takes forever. And they get trapped by you know, attractive, but wrong answers. And experts do it the exact opposite way where they look at A and they're like, well, this is wrong 80% of the time. So let's see what uh, I'm going to read you just as just enough to know that you're wrong. And then I'm going to do that with B and C and D. And then the right answer is the one that's like undeniable. You can't eliminate it. It's just obviously correct. But you only get there by expecting the wrong answers to be wrong, not by hoping that the right answer is right. Anyway, I do think that that spirit has infused everything we do at LSAT Demon. And uh, that's why one of the reasons why we've been able to help people um, make so much progress. You know, I want to take a, a, a stupid semantic quibble with... Um something you said you said attractive wrong answers you know it'll have some of the words from the argument yeah i think it's superficially attractive though i don't think they're yeah. actually attractive oh not they're not attractive to me they're not attractive to you but they're attractive to a student who is hoping that that answer is correct yeah it's it's strange though because they it <laughs> It's usually attractive because they're actually reading something else, right? Or when they really yeah. understand the answer, they're like, whoa. And so yes. there's, some, there, there's something, I just don't want people to think that there's this like, oh, it's this really good, but just one thing is wrong with it. No, it's really bad sometimes. It's way worse than you think it is. So you're, no, it's conclusively you're not even wrong. seeing correctly. It's not like you're exactly. seeing something attractive. And it's yes. like, oh, well, but it, this one's actually a little more attractive. It's like that's actually completely unattractive. It's not second best. 
it's wrong. Yeah. But but you see one word in it that you like and then you kind of go to sleep and don't really read the rest of it, don't really understand the rest of it. It's a uh, don't they in law school don't don't is it like an attractive hazard or something like that? That's why people have to put fences around their swimming pools now. Yeah, so that people don't get <laughs> held liable. Yeah, but I don't yeah, I don't remember that phrase. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but my point is it's like yeah. well, this is just it, it's clearly wrong. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's uh, one of those traps in the like Rambo would build a trap in the jungle with a fake floor. You mm -hmm. know, if you looked at it carefully, you could see the spikes that are going to kill you down there. <laughs> <laughs> if you try to trust that this is actually a floor. Right. But it kind of looks like a floor. And if you don't really pay any attention, you just breeze on out there and then you plummet through to your painful death. Anyway, thank you, Hugh, for writing in uh, this one from Alexa. Hi, new listener, about a month in and new demon free subscriber. And I'm hooked. I love how real y'all are and give great advice. A lot of a lot of our listeners, Ben, might not have yet a demon free account and they definitely should go get a demon free account. There's tons of good resources there. Yeah, Alexa continues and it's free uh, about me. I'm 36 and I live in Texas and for the past two to three years have been fed up with our government, local to senators. And this has sparked an interest in me getting into politics. I know I don't need a law degree to get into politics, but I would like to study, understand, and practice law to help people, parentheses, civil rights and constitutional law. Any thoughts so far? Um, yeah, the, find an attorney who does that and figure out their path to that because I, there's not that many constitutional law attorneys. That's an elite area of law that's usually actually fought out over with corporations. They're funding these big law attorneys that, uh, that go to the Supreme Court. I mean, that's just such a rare thing. I would also say it's not what you think it is. It's like, well, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it's just it is politics, right? Like, I think Ben was saying it better than I'm saying it. There, there are very rare lawyers who actually practice constitutional law. I have a friend who does, and he works at a firm that specializes in appellate cases. But most of those cases that they end up taking still end up only going to the circuit courts. And yeah, I guess that's still constitutional law, but those cases, at least for his firm, they're all funded by corporations fighting over something. And it's a very elite group of attorneys. He's, he's one of very few people who do this. So anyways, if you want to get into politics, that's one thing. If you want to become a constitutional law specialist, that's a totally different thing and a totally different breed of individual. Well, and it's going to be one of the very most competitive jobs that exists. Like mm -hmm. you, oh, you want to be counsel for the ACLU, right? Yep, exactly. Those are the kind, like, this is high up shit. And it's way high up shit. That's like, go to Stanford actual law school, and then you might <laughs> get an informational interview with the ACLU. I mean, it's yeah. anyway. Um, Alexa goes on and says, I have hopes of running for office in 15 to 20 years. That is a long ass time in the future, Alexa. 
Okay. I just graduated with my undergrad from Texas Tech with a 4.0 and have a great career with a telecom company making over 100K a year. I am a URM, and without studying my first prep test, I scored a 159. Not great, but hoping to do better, 170 plus, after studying with the demon. Okay, so... Alexa. Wait, so things change. <laughs> Alexa things just has changed. the number. Yeah. Yep. You have the numbers to to potentially break into this higher echelon of law, but I'm still confused about your trajectory. Like people who do this could exit and go into politics because they're the kind of people who can do anything, but you really it's gonna take you a long time to even climb this ladder. So I would just be committed to that. And then if you still end up wanting to go run for office, you could leave at any point. Get rich first, though, huh? Yeah. I mean, don't like you're I think you'll do so much more in politics from a position of wealth than you will from like just trying to be a elected public servant. And I mean, they don't really make money. I don't know. Alexa, 159 is an amazing cold diagnostic. Yeah, you said not great, but hoping to do better. You will do better. You're a URM. You have a 4.0. You have you have a solid trajectory. Oh, no, this well, ends up URM 4.0, 175. Like, welcome to Harvard. Yep. And uh, so, you know, that's a good start. But anyway, Alexa has some questions. Am I crazy for wanting to change my career? Possibly. <laughs> Very possibly. Yeah. Do you know any lawyers? Have, do, do you have any idea what you're getting yourself into? Um, yeah, it, it is, I think, miserable. And, um, you know, you're happy now. You're already making 100K. Most lawyers, the majority of lawyers don't make 100K. Now, if you go to a kick ass law school and go into big law, you'll make twice that in your first year. And then it'll go up from there. Quickly, so if you can cut, if you can, if you can stomach it. Yeah. If you like, if you love this work, then this will be a great path for you. But yeah, that's the question. Yeah. Um, okay. Is part-time law school looked down upon? I would like to keep working if possible so that I can afford to live and go to school. I think if you're going to compete with the best of the best, I don't I don't think part time is an option. Is that a, is that even an option at schools like Harvard? Alexa, you need to look. I mean, you got to look at the 509 reports. So go to LSATdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Put in your LSAT and your GPA. You know, Alexa, you should put in 170 something because with a cold 159, you're almost guaranteed to make it into the 170s with your 4.0 and your URM. And then look at what kinds of scholarships you would be likely to get. But you can also click to the 509 reports for every school. It's the little PDF logo out on the far right-hand side of the scholarship estimator. If you don't see it, you just need to widen your browser a little bit. And uh, those 509s tell you what schools have part-time schools, uh, what part-time programs. So I would look for a school that gives scholarships to part-time students. And then, you know, the next bit of inquiry though is, am I, is it prestigious enough that I'm going to be able to go um, you know, get the, the ACLU job or whatever that I want. Yeah. So I just checked the top 14 schools. None of them have part-time programs except for Georgetown. Georgetown is ranked 14th and it's the first school that does. 
full ride into Georgetown uh, in the part-time program, keep your job. Uh, that could be amazing. Yeah. I don't know if you can yeah. work your job remote though, cause you live in Texas. Uh, so Texas doesn't have a part-time program. Not at university of Texas, Austin, yeah. no part-time program. I mean, so. that's the one that would be likely to get the yep. prestige job that we're yeah. thinking about. Anyway, lastly, Alexa says, I went to law school online and did not make a connection with any of my professors. I don't think I will get any recommendations from them. Will that look bad when applying? Not necessarily, Alexa. You're a little bit older. Um, you've got a very successful job. I think you could probably get two recommendations from that same job. Don't you think, Ben? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A manager and another manager or a manager and a coworker, a manager and a client. I think you're probably okay just with only professional recommendations. Also, I, I guess I'm not too concerned about getting a letter of rec from a professor you didn't have a connection with. If you got a stellar grade in a challenging class. Yeah, you have ask. a 4.0, Alexa. So it's, it does seem like you, you might be able to just send an anonymous email saying, hey, you know, I graduated from your school with a 4.0. Um, I'd like to get a recommendation from I, I enjoyed your class. I got, you know, I took you twice and got two A's. Yep. Yeah. They don't need to have a personal connection to you, Alexa. They can just write. Alexa got the highest grade in my class in both of the classes she ever took from me. Yeah. And that's an elite level of performance or whatever they want to say. Uh, anyway, I know I need to get my best test score on file before thinking about applications, but I'm the type that thinks through everything first. I don't want to waste my time if those things will hinder me from going to law school for free. OK, so Alexa does want to. Um, she she is drinking the Kool-Aid of wanting to go for free. It's just so Alexa, I mean how how does that work i i think i mean i would think that your best bet is to get a full ride like the best full ride you can get is probably a school in the top six mm -hmm. absolutely i mean i think yep. you can go to like a really prestigious school and from there i think the easiest like the, what most people would do is they would just go straight into um big law but I guess you could go federal clerkship. It's just I don't know what those jobs are that are like immediately helping people with civil rights. It's it's almost all the money, almost all the jobs are on the other side of that. Thanks, Alexa. This next one's yeah. anonymous. Hello. I wanted to ask what was the best strategy for improving on reading comprehension? I have improved on logical reasoning and logic games but my score is staying low because I have not improved on reading comprehension at all. I cannot make it to the third passage, even with trying to slow down and months of drilling RC passages. I, I had an idea the other day in class, Ben, and I, I wanted to hear what you thought of it. Okay. Um, I've had people tell me that they got better at reading comp when they started treating reading comp like logical reasoning. Okay. I was actually going to suggest the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But I've also had people get better on other sections by treating it more like some other section. So this might sound like, kind of crazy, but like, like games. Yeah. Well, I, I think I have had people tell me exactly. I got better at reading comp or 
I, I got better at logical reasoning when I realized that it was just a different kind of logic game. Yeah. Read and understand rules and then answer questions uh, based on those rules. And right. in reading comp, there's only 15 rules, really 15 sentences. Yeah. And I've definitely had people say I'm good at reading comp, but I'm bad at logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. But I got better once I started treating logical reasoning more like reading comp. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, because the part, the section of the test that you're good at, you're good at it because you're doing it right. You're playing the game. Okay. So see what elements mm-hmm. of that same game you can take to other sections of the test. Ultimately, read it carefully, put the pieces together, you know, and then yep. the one right answer is undeniable compared to the four shitty answers, which are undeniably wrong. Hey, how about that tip that we got from uh, our teacher, uh, Matthew, our, our new teacher, Matthew? Yeah. So the tip is, as you're reading in reading comp, if an idea comes up more than once, the second time it comes up, make sure as you're digesting that information, you're connecting it back to whatever was said previously about that same idea. <laughs> it, it uh, This came in on a review for one of Matt's classes. Mm-hmm. And I, I read it and I was like, well, that's fucking stupid because obviously... But then I thought about it for two seconds and I was like, well, wait a second. It's it's a thing that many of us just naturally do. Mm -hmm. But maybe anonymous who is, you know, not getting to the third passage on reading comp. Maybe that's because when anonymous reads a passage. They're just not really like connecting any kind of dots at all. Yeah. I mean, we teach people to do that explicitly in the games, right? If a rule mentions a variable more than once. And in LR. Yeah. We don't don't teach people to diagram in LR, but we absolutely are like, well, look, they mentioned this idea here and here. So we could connect those two things together. I don't have to do it visually. I'm going to do it in my head. But we do have to make that connection. What are what you know, if they're like. Well, Mr. X is in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is in California. Well, okay, Los Angeles was mentioned twice. Mr. X is in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is in California. Now, you didn't say it, but obviously you have necessarily implied that Mr. X is in California. No shit. So maybe anonymous, you're good at doing that on LR and you're good at doing that on the games, but you haven't yet started doing that on the reading comp. Yeah. I mean, when when people read the first sentence in reading comprehension, they have to understand that sentence and then try to predict where the passage is going to go next. Right. When they read the second sentence in reading comprehension, they have to understand that sentence and they have to they have to interpret it in the context of the sentence that came before it. I mean, that's that's how reading (laughs) comprehension works but yeah you know maybe we just need to make this more explicit the the sentences gain meaning jo- not just from the words within the sentences but also from the words that came in the previous sentences that's everything is given within a context and so if an idea is mentioned more than once well you better sure in hell recognize how that connects to what was already said before Hopefully that's helpful. Anonymous. Next one's from Isabel says, uh, I'm feeling confident regarding my recorded LSAT score. 
This question is specifically about UGPA and addendums. My UGPA is a 3.5 and is at slash above average for the schools I'm applying to. I failed a major course during the spring of 2020. Due to the pandemic, the professor pushed the class sessions back an hour. I was the only student in the course who had another class during that hour. So I was not able to attend the virtual sessions in real time. I'm worried about this. Furthermore, I was using the textbook at the library. The library was no longer accessible halfway through the semester, and the prof told me I wouldn't need the textbook when I, uh, when I asked for help. So two excuses all there, Ben. Two different excuses, both pandemic-related. Well, I'm worried because these problems don't seem astronomically difficult, and yet it's starting to sound like oh, I ran into this problem and I ran into this other problem. And so uh, it didn't It happen. gets worse. I was also evicted during finals, comma, laid off, comma, et cetera, et cetera, dot, dot, dot. Isabel, do not put any of, do not put any of this in, in, a, in a law school application. Nope. Like every reader is going to go, oh, well, thanks, Thanks for letting us know that you're a problem. I'm, I'm not saying you actually are a problem. I'm just saying that that looks like a problem to me. Well, let's get more precise here. You encounter challenges and you don't seem to resolve them. So you need to work on resolving them. And now you're just displaying that everywhere. The naive reader is going to go, well, surely you could have gotten an administrative drop I mean, look, your first fact says I was no longer able to attend the virtual the virtual sessions in real time because I had another class at that time. Why didn't you solve the problem right then and there? This shouldn't be something that's coming up in a podcast years later. Now, everybody who reads that is going to go, huh? You couldn't get that dropped? What? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Thank you, Isabel. Isabel continues. I'm concerned about how a failed course reflects on my application. Should I write a short addendum to address the F or should I not be concerned considering my UGPA is average for my target schools? Man, don't pay for law school, Isabel. You, I, I, I worry that you're looking to get in instead of looking to go for free. Yeah. Your UGPA of 3.5 is your UGPA of 3.5. Like, that's obviously not perfect. You failed a class. It was during the pandemic. I would say something else. I mean, I, but I wouldn't say. Uh, would you say any of these things? <laughs> it's, it's really tough because and this is the problem with with over. I was going to say over explaining, but just explaining anything that really should have been solved is you just expose more, you bring more and more attention to the fact that you, you couldn't solve it. It's the spring of 2020. So I think I might say, like, I think I would write a one sentence addendum that said something like, um, in the spring of, you know, um, let me, let me think what I would say. Maybe I would say nothing at all. I, I think I probably say nothing at all. Yeah. I'm either leaning towards nothing at all, or if they ask you and you have to answer it, you could say, yes, I did get an F. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, period. Yeah, I, I got an Factual. F at the beginning of the pandemic, period. My GPA for all classes after that was a 
let them infer all sorts of like, yep. oh, yeah, well, OK, yeah, difficult but, time. But this litany <laughs> of ex- of excuses comes off not at all how Isabel intends. So, Isabel, no. I hope you don't think that we're like attacking you. I'm just I'm trying to protect you from this kind of we see this all the time and it always looks bad. It's too many excuses. And I mean, the second you get to excuse number two, the re- the skeptical reader just goes, well, OK, what what is it then? I, I, I'm not sure which one to it, really. It's all of these things at once. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just not a good. And, and I wouldn't even use one of these individually. Like the thing about the professor pushing the class back an hour. I think that the skeptical reader just goes, well, that's not that shouldn't be on your record. Why didn't you get that off of your record? Why didn't you Why get didn't that you class get you off your record or you couldn't? And there was probably some reasonable workaround and the professor was expecting you to do that and you couldn't make that happen. Yeah, you got to remember that they are academics like they work at a school. You're blaming your professor, you're blaming the library and then the eviction and getting laid off. And I mean, all that shit sucks. Like, don't get me wrong. I believe you that all that shit happened to you and that all sucks. But lawyers aren't the type of people who fall back on those kinds of excuses. Right. Like the, to to advocate for yourself, Isabel you you want to say nothing because if you say nothing they look at your transcript and they go f oh spring of 2020 well there's a million reasons for that whatever yeah you say something you're now bringing attention to it and they're getting into the details and they start becoming a critic or a judge of whether or not that was a good or bad reason to get it's like how we read logical reasoning right like we're so good at attacking the arguments because we attack the shit that they actually say We don't have anything to say until they start talking. The second they start talking, then we're on the attack. Keep in mind, too, they can actually talk and we won't take issue with it if they just present it as a fact. If if they say (laughs) the the earth is uh, one degree hotter than it was 100 years ago, like, okay, but then they start trying to explain why. Well, because we, we took some sample data from the northern hemisphere. It's like, really? You took it from, why didn't you take it from the yeah, Southern Hemisphere? Exactly. What, and so then you get into the debate. It's like, let's not yep. have it. Yep. Anyways. Less yeah. is more. Yeah. I, I mean, don't answer optional questions if you don't have to, unless it's unequivocally in your favor to answer the question. <laughs> and be careful there. People think it's in their favor, but it's not. <laughs> right. Isabel probably thinks all this stuff is in her favor, but it really doesn't come off that way. Yeah. Thank you, Isabel, for writing in. All right. We got Katie. Hello, Ben and Nathan. First of all, I want to thank you guys for everything you do! Exclamation point. I've been using LSAT Demon Premium and it has helped me tremendously so far. I have a dilemma about when I should apply to law school. Overall, my primary goal is to attend law school for free or close to it. For context, I'm going into my senior year of college with a GPA of 3.85 and my decision to apply to law school is pretty recent. I feel that I'm a little late to the game and I'm not sure if I can reach my goal within this cycle. You're not late to anything. Some people are applying to law school well after they leave undergrad. Yeah. I took my diagnostic LSAT in May of this year and got a 144. I've been studying ever since May and my practice test scores are currently around 155. My first official test is in September. Mm, Why? No, no, it's not. (laughs) You're not ready. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be. It should be whenever your practice tests are to 165 or whatever you think you need. Yeah. And and ideally, it's 
165 or higher. The type of schools that I would be applying to are ranked 80 to 100. Why? That, that means you, nothing. You shouldn't make me. that decision right now, Katie. Yeah. It's such Why? a narrow band, too, for such a meaningless number. Schools jump in and out of that range, by the way, Katie. So oh, astronomically. Like ridiculously. Like, yeah. the, a school that's ranked 90th today could be 140th next year, or they could be 50th 40th. next year. Yeah, they could be 40th and yeah. then drop back down. And and so... It's meaningless why? at that point. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, you said, for example, according to our your scholarship estimator, a school that's in my top choices requires a 163 with my current GPA for a full ride. <sighs> Am I better off taking a gap year to get the best possible LSAT score I can? Uh, yes, uh, and get the best score you can get, and then just to apply broadly to schools that will accept you for free, regardless yeah. of whether they're in that range. Stop with this. I have a, a t I have top choices. No, you don't. You're you shouldn't. You're you're probably selling yourself short. This student definitely, Katie. I think you're selling yourself short. You you got to reach. You got to reach higher. If you want to play the law school game, you've got good grades, 3.85, and you still have your senior year. So maybe you can drag that up to a 3.9. Yeah. Focus on your grades for the rest of this year, then turn your focus to the LSAT. And by the way, a 144 is a normal starting score. So there's, there's no reason to sell yourself short. We see people start at 144 and get into the 170s. I wouldn't surprise me at all, Katie. I mean, what's the scholarship estimator say if you have a 3.9 and a 170? Or now even what a does your top choice look like? <laughs> Katie, it sounds like you are like halfway to really following our advice. And if you fully follow our advice, I think things are going to work out really, really well for you. But do not rush into it. Um, I think you should be applying next fall for the following fall admission. So you're applying a full year from now. And yeah, you know, if you can get straight A's and study for the LSAT at the same time, then I would allow you to do that. But I would put a pause on LSAT Demon Premium until you are getting straight A's. Yeah, if you're not getting straight A's, then we don't want your today. business. Yeah. Yeah, right now. I mean, like today, school probably hasn't started, <laughs> but if you're like <laughs> well, in a week, if, yeah. if you don't get straight A's this semester, then we don't want you to be an LSAT demon student. Yeah. We, we want you getting straight A's uh, and then worry about your LSAT. And we want you to shoot higher on your LSAT. than it seems like m many people kind of start off with lower goals than what we would set. We don't even set score goals, Katie. And you having this, you know, I'll 163 to get me to this mediocre school that's in my top choices. Mm -hmm. I think you need to raise that ceiling on yourself. OK, Kevin says, Ben and Nathan, I'm an active duty U.S. Army officer, and I am currently in the process of applying for the funded legal education program FLEP through the Army. This was a sudden change in direction for my career as an attempt at special forces this past June did not turn out successful. FLEP allows the Army to offer up to 25 officers, officers every year a full ride to law school in exchange for a minimum of six years in the Judge Advocate Corps, JAG Corps. 
After a few years working with JAGS and learning the Uniform Code of Military Justice, UCMJ, (laughs) military folk are awesome, aren't they, Ben? Well, they sound a lot like attorneys. (laughs) Attorneys love throwing in all these acronyms, too. That's not even an acronym. That's an initialism. Ah, initialism, yes. JAG is an acronym because we say it like a word. UCMJ is an initialism because we say the letters. FLEP, I'm going to say, is an acronym because we're calling, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're making a we're word We're saying out of it. it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone's saying UCMJ. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But okay. There's lots of, lots of terms, terms here. It's just, I'm just laughing at the, why do we need UCMJ in, in this email? Um, but anyway, sorry, Kevin. Kevin continues. I now know surely that I want to put myself through the misery of the law school journey. Okay. So Kevin at least seems to know what he's getting himself into. Yeah. I have yet to take an official LSAT and have only been studying for a few weeks. I feel confident in my studying practices, focusing on your principles, trying every day to get as many clicks as possible. I love that, Ben. We talked about that on a recent episode, this idea of just focus on the clicks, you know, get your, your goal today is not to master the LSAT. Your goal today is to get one click, just one thing, get it making more sense. The major roadblock I now face is that I have a month long training event that will take me into the last week of September. I will not have the ability to use LSAT demon online. Oh, we've been emailing Kevin, huh? Yeah, Um, we have. Okay, so long story short, Kevin wants printed materials to take with him out into the bush or whatever. He's not going to have any uh, devices, so he can't PDFs even won't work. So what do you think Kevin should take if he could only take one book? What book do you think Kevin should take? Mm. Well, I would recommend the book. You oh, one book. Yeah, I would recommend actually your smaller books, the ones that cover a full test. Yeah, or it's a month. It's a month long training event. Mm. You know what I think he should take? I think he should take a book of 10 official tests. I was thinking that in my head, but at the same time, he's not going to have explanations. I think that's okay. He can still learn a lot. I think you can learn a lot, Kevin, by just doing tests and working on them on your own. Oh, wait, he says, I plan to bring a couple LSAC prep test books, but I want to bring something that can help me to continue to hone my skills. And so he wants a specific LSAT book recommendation. Yeah, take one or more of my books. They're all for sale on Amazon. The Logical Reasoning Encyclopedia is a whole big ass book of logical reasoning explanations. The Logic Games playbook is a book of 30 tests with full written explanations. And then my first three are prep test 61, 62, and 63. And they just explain every question on an entire test. I I will, you know, I I need to point out that our thinking has changed on a lot of the ways that we teach these topics since I wrote those books. You know, they're like getting to be a decade old now. Yeah, they're good. I think they're still better than everything else that's out there, but they're not as good as um, the explanations that are in the demon now. Yeah. One thing I would add is maybe maybe take one or two of those books. I think Kevin said in a follow up email that he might have Internet access on the weekends or be able to if you can do that, then what you could do is you could do the LSAC prep test books when you're in the bush. And then when you have Wi-Fi. You go into 
practice, the practice test section of the daemon, you click on explanations and you can go to any test in there and then find the explanation. Yeah, you can just look up the test and go and we're we're going to have explanations for every question probably or if not damn near every question. Yeah, at this point in time I think everything's been explained at least once. So maybe just take the the test books then and then look at the demon on the weekends. I I think that might be the best plan. Thanks Kevin. All right, you want to check this one? Oh, this is uh let's make this an Okay. Hello, Ben and Nathan. I'm a rising junior who will be transferring to a four-year university this fall from a community college, and I plan on attending law school in the fall of 2024. Okay. Seems tight. I have a few questions regarding my LSAT study plan and how I should balance LSAT studying with my academic work, extracurricular activities, and obligations. After receiving a diagnostic of 148, I began studying for the LSAT in May using another company slash course. With this program's curriculum, I am still learning the fundamentals and am drilling after learning each new concept, but have not yet taken a practice test. Ugh. <laughs> Just take a practice test. Uh, you're learning, yeah, depending on what company you're using, you might be learning shit that's actually hurting you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, and it's then one of the reasons. That. Yeah, and they never have you take a fucking practice test. Because they, they know that when you do, it, it's, you're not going to make very much progress that's bullshit (laughs) we think you should be taking practice questions sections and tests from the very beginning of your prep i can't imagine an lsat prep program that doesn't have you do the damn lsat there are 96 of them available so it's okay to take one and see how you do yeah you're not gonna run out nope and and this idea that you're gonna learn the fundamentals before you do a test. What? No, you're not. There aren't fundamentals. <laughs> we don't even believe that there really are. Well, you know, we have they're... a whole bunch of podcasts called fundamentals, but. <laughs> but it's not a curriculum. It's not like learn all this shit before you do a test. It's more like if you find yourself missing questions along these lines, then you, here are here's what you're missing. But well, I just think it's clarify. so much better to use it consultatively than it is to try to like, it's like, well, I'm going to learn all everything I need to know and then I'm going to take a test. Yeah. Okay. I think the issue here is we think that fundamentals are like, understand that you need to understand each sentence that you read. That's a fundamental. Right? The <laughs> yeah. test is is testing your ability to read. So focus on reading. The problem is that that. It it's like so obvious to most people that you need to understand what you read. And even the difference between sufficient and necessary, it's literally obvious to a junior high kid. Well, we have to say it a lot, so it must not be super obvious. No, but, but the it point is your issue here. Hold up, hold up. Your issue is not with the word fundamentals. It's the fact that these fundamentals at this company are not actually fundamentals. They are tips and tricks, and they're being branded as fundamentals. Yeah. Shit like select which questions to do on the logical reasoning. Yeah. Select which games to do on the game. Select or which passages to do on the reading comp. Memorize all the words that mean therefore. Ugh. Right? That's what they're calling fundamentals, and they're saying you need to know all this stuff, and then people are filling their head yeah. with these yeah these technicalities and that's what hurts you 
especially it's just not wrong. a test of knowledge that's why you don't need to do this yeah okay so she continues although i feel that i have made progress feelings okay i think taking a practice test would be useful engaging my actual understanding of what i've learned so far you're right so my first question is, should I learn the fundamentals entirely before taking a practice test or should I take one now to gauge my current understanding? Well, you, you don't take it to gauge your understanding. You take it to learn how to take the test. The side benefit is that you'll happen to see what your score is. And as a result, the LSAT will tell you what you suck at. It's going to give you a data point so you can see where you're at, but the 120 to 180 data point is not nearly as useful as which questions did you miss? Yeah. And what can they've you got learn you, from them? They've got you studying theory and then doing a bunch of drills related to that theory, which aren't even real LSAT questions. And instead, you should just be doing real LSAT questions and then dig into theory on the questions that you miss. Mm -hmm. The like smart people. And this is a diagnostic of 148. That's a strong diagnostic. Yeah. Smart people, you understand like you're getting right. You're, you're getting half the questions right because they make sense. The other half also makes sense. And when you miss them, OK, there's something there that you're missing. But no amount of theoretical studying and stupid drills are going to really get you there, at least not as fast as we would get you there by just do the damn questions and then thoroughly review your mistakes. Absolutely. So yes, take a test. Uh, I would quit this program too. I'm really scared about what their fundamentals are because most of these programs don't have quote yeah. good tips. Um, next, she continues, I understand a high GPA is very important in law school admissions. My current GPA is a 3.95 and I plan to keep it high, if not higher, in these next two years of undergrad. You still have two years of undergrad? Yeah, make it a 4.0 for these last two years. I also plan to take advantage of the opportunities my university provides by getting involved in clubs, research opportunities, internships, and maintaining a social life. Okay, if you can maintain a 4.0. This leads to my next series of questions. How do I hold my academics as a priority while also juggling LSAT studying, extracurricular obligations, and a social life? With a goal of 165 plus, will studying for the LSAT only on the weekends and during breaks be sufficient? Would a gap year be necessary in my situation? Uh, we have no idea, but you need to tackle these challenges in priority. So get a 4.0. If you're getting a 4.0, great. Then add in other things <laughs> one at a time and see if you can continue maintaining a 4.0. And I would not do any of these things for applying to law school. I would only do them if you want to do them. You're like, that sounds fun. I want to go do that. Okay, then go do it. Yeah, I think you have to have a social life because you're a human. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But as far as internships and extracurriculars, if you're doing that just to boost your law school application, you're totally misguided. I mean, a 170 with no internships, no extracurriculars is definitely better than a 165 with internships and extracurriculars. Absolutely. It's better than a 169. So, <laughs> yeah. Shoot higher things. on your LSAT goal, but maybe not now. I mean, why, why are you trying to do everything at once? You say you're juggling school, LSAT studying, extracurricular obligations, and a social life. I mean, 
that's not that's multitasking, right? That's like not prioritization. Prioritization is pick the thing and do that thing. And that should be your grades right now. The second thing should be your LSAT, but you can always wait. And you're asking if a gap year is a good idea. There is absolutely nothing wrong ever with gap years. No. And no. <laughs> if it means that you're applying with a better LSAT, then yes, you should take a gap year or two. And a better GPA, right? Because the gap year is right. going to relieve the pressure to squeeze this all in in the next two years. Right. Do not Why? let your do not let your LSAT prep interfere with your undergraduate grades. That's tragic when people do that. You're running a race against a bunch of other people. And what you're saying to yourself is I'm going to put a backpack on and run. Why? Other people aren't. Yeah. And put it's a the backpack first step of your legal on. career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you just like, I get it that we just, it's fucking America, right? It's like, oh, you have to do it all. You, if you want to have it all, you have to do it all. And it's, it's really misguided. It's not, it's not like really thinking clearly. No. No. You need to decide what is important and do that. And uh, this myth that you're going to be able to, you know, get the grades and the LSAT and the clubs and the research and the internship and have a social life and do that all at once. I mean, that's insane. Even if you can do it, what's the point of it? <laughs> also, that you can just rush into law school and a legal career. Why? I would only do that if you're doing everything that's more important and you're killing it, you have a 4.0, you're killing it on the LSAT, and you have still time and energy to add something else. Some people are crazy like that, and they can do that. But even then, you're only adding something because you want to, and you want to pursue it. Okay, yeah. fine. But that that's so unlikely. So, uh, and it's on, the burden is on you to prove that you have yeah. the wherewithal to do that. Yeah, they refer to it as extracurricular obligations. You know, like if you're the president of some club on campus and because you think that's going to look good, don't do it for that reason. No, it, it should be an, it should be a joy or just don't do it because it's not going to move the needle compared to your LSAT and your GPA. All right. Last one. This is from Dilemma. So actually, Emma, I think probably. Hi, yeah. Ben and Nathan. I know the answer is almost always do not apply early decision, but I feel like the signs are pointing to I should. <laughs> For background, I have a 3.88 GPA and I am reasonably hopeful that my final LSAT will be in the 165 to 168 band. My goal is University UMN. Is that just University of Minnesota? I don't know. I'm a resident of a reciprocal state. I can somewhat reasonably expect to get into the school based on 509 law school data, etc. But here's the catch. My dad is dying of cancer. And in terms of time, it's a fast downhill. That is very sad. Wow. The UMN site says early decision applicants receive the same scholarship consideration as regular candidates. <laughs> Do we believe them? I really don't believe that. Is it I would, binding? I would if it's binding, it I think that's a fucking lie. If they said that they guarantee full ride scholarships to everyone who's early decision, then I'd be like, wow, they've just tied their hands. Okay. But they just said yeah. consideration. Yeah. But Dilemma says, I'd get a decision back sooner than January if I do apply early decision. If I want my dad to have a chance of knowing my decision, 
then I need to get that November reply. Most recent 509 shows 57% of students get half plus tuition scholarships. Could I negotiate with a 509 if I'm over their medians? What? To ED or not to ED? That is the question. Read the fine print, Emma. Dilemma. Is it a binding early decision program? If it is, I, th I say no. I would say no. And just because they're guaranteeing you an early decision doesn't mean you won't get an early decision from the regular program. This person doesn't even have an official LSAT yet. This it's tough. It's a it's an emotional situation, right? I think your dad would be happy just knowing you're trying to do the best you can to move forward with your life. Yeah, I mean, print out the the scholarship estimator results for, you know, a an LSAT of 170 and show your dad what kinds of offers you're going to be getting when you get to that 170. Well, just talk to your dad about it, too. I bet your dad would be like, please don't <laughs> sacrifice your future just so I can know what's going on. Just talk to your Man, dad. I'm sure your dad would be like, we're going to do whatever's best for you. Go spend time with him. Yep. Like yeah. do that. Don't don't rush your applications so that he can see this letter. Instead, go spend time with him. Don't even LSAT study right now. I mean, <laughs> that's the the time with him is the is the precious thing. And like this one moment of him being happy because he sees your I don't, I don't, I can't imagine that that's, it's your dad, it's your life and you, you know better, but I, I don't, I don't think this is a good reason to rush an application. It also seems like you're very focused on UMN, which is apparently the university of Minnesota. Um, okay. but may, I don't know. I would open up the field to other options too. just tell your dad what you're, you're looking at all these options and with your, to figure out with, with a 3.88 and a 165 to 168, that's that's probably a full ride, right? Yeah. At UMN. I mean, I have no idea how good that law school is. Let's take a look. But you don't want to be negotiating dilemma. You you want them to just offer you a full ride the second they see your application. And the higher LSAT's what's going to get that done, not the early decision for sure. And if it's binding, I don't believe them that early decision applicants receive the same scholarship consideration as regular candidates, because why would they? If it's not binding, then maybe I believe them. Yeah. Well, it's a 3.88 and a three point and a 165 is coming up as more than half tuition scholarship. At what about a 170? Let's keep going. It may never go to full tuition. If they don't offer, let's see what the 509 report says. 509 says more than full tuition is 1% or six people. Um, and then full tuition is 0%, three people, not zero, but. So it's just not the kind of school that gives a lot of full rides. That's right. Um, so ironically, so I mean, that makes it doing more okay then? to go there, right? It, that, that makes it more reasonable to go there on a more than half tuition scholarship. Probably their tuition is lower. So you're not getting scammed is what I'm saying. True, but it doesn't have any effect on early decision. Like why? You, still no argument to do early decision. No, right? this early decision thing is only about her dad. I mean, yeah. I, and I just, yeah, don't know. Okay. Doesn't seem like the, doesn't seem like the, the right, 
you've got 50 years of your life ahead of you. You know, you've got this you a whole legal career and a whole life. And this, this is a big, big decision. And yeah, if you can go to a better school than UMN, you've got the grades for it. If you had the LSAT for it, I mean, you could end up getting a full ride to a better school. Yeah. Cause it doesn't look like they like to offer full rides. So go, maybe you could go to a better school for even less money. That's always a right. Win. Exactly. And, but not if you're rushing it anyway, thank you, Emma, for writing in. I know that that's a really hard time yeah. and a hard decision to make. Uh, okay. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. Please check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 364 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.